Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. A slightly different episode to usual. Ben and I have just landed in Barbados. So just the two of us for the majority of this episode will be reacting to England's draw in Antigua. A fantastic start to the Women's World Cup in Sri Lanka. Some changes to the MCC laws and more. We'll briefly be joined by Taha over Zoom from Pakistan to look back at the first test between Pakistan and Australia at Royal Pindi. Hopefully the background noise gives you a sense of the atmosphere on the island at the moment. Um, Forgive us if we're a bit slow on this episode. It's been a really long day. Let's start with the test in Antigua. Uh, Ben, from an English point of view, some calm after the storm that was a disastrous Ashes series earlier in the winter. It's the first time since 2016 that England have had three centurions in the same test. The first time since 2018 that England have scored 300 in both innings of a test. They weren't that close to winning in the end but after finding themselves 48 before in the first morning that was a that was a fairly encouraging few days in the end yeah this isn't exactly operation red bull reset after a rip-roaring start it's not quite england new zealand and the white ball stuff in 2015 no it isn't but, but more i think maybe i said more positives than negatives which i think is a, a fair way to put it i think the biggest positive for me is that best 100 on day one i was almost tempted to say it was uh more encouraging than his Australia 100. I don't think that's quite the case. I think you've got to think back to before that 100, there were doubts over whether Bairstow could be a legitimate force as a test batter kind of at, at any point again. That dispelled that. But this was, it was it was kind of a, that, that was, you know, that was classic Bairstow sort of like counter-punching, like a bit angry at the end. He got annoyed at someone in the crowd. I mean, fair enough, that's what he does. This was just a like a, a very normal test Hundred in a way, albeit he went England forty for four, but that's pretty normal as well these days, I suppose. Uh, in that he, um, uh, you know, he 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 defended well. His defence looked very very good, and that's that's he batted longer. I think this might have been his slowest hundred actually. Um, batted for a long time, batted very well with a tail as he does as well. 
he just looked very solid, very secure in a way he hasn't done uh, for like he, he probably looked slightly more secure in his defence even than in that game where because of the nature of the pitch in that Australia innings he had to go through shots a bit more. This looked sort of repeatable, like a guy who knows how to make hundreds, and he does know how to make hundreds. Uh, like the tempo of that innings was brilliant. I think like there were he is very content to sort of just soak up a bit of pressure when a wicket falls or a bowler is in his spell, and then knows how to apply it. The other end, there was one stretch when he got into the nines. I think with maybe seven boundaries and ten balls. Like he's very very good at that and it shows in his first class record I mean he's got the, pretty much the best first class record in that England setup, apart from Molly Pope I suppose uh, so that was hugely encouraging uh, Crawley and Root I mean it, it completely sort of predictable the Root would get that that 100 I mean it's not I wouldn't say that's a huge tick in the box for Joe Root at number 3 quite yet it's just nice quite nice that he scored an, uh, an undramatic test 100 yes. all, all of his 100s recently have been uh, no, instant classics uh, whereas this one was just qu- was quite nice. He batted very smoothly in the background. It was just such a pleasant partnership between Crawley and Root on that day. Yeah, I was, um, trying, I was trying to think when Root would last have made hundreds with uh, someone else making hundreds in the same innings. It's been a long time. Yeah, but, but did Burns make one when he made that double in New Zealand? Uh, yes, he did. And then yes, Cook at the end of that summer. Uh, I think is the is it 2018 summer. I yeah. think was the last one before that. So it's been, it's been, it's a, been while a while since Root that kind of sport. On, on Best, I've, I've definitely been guilty of, of forgetting how good Bairstow was in 2016, 2017. A lot has been made about how he's been messed about and he has been messed about. He's batted between everywhere between three and seven. The rest and rotation definitely didn't help him massively in Sri Lanka and India last year. Gloves, there's no gloves as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. But I think very fundamentally, he, he has shored up a glaring weakness in his game and, and we're really interested to hear what Butch says about it when he's next on the show but I think moving to off stump has really helped Bester. you did a thing looking at where he's been standing over the course of his career but I think he's still actually getting beaten through the gate between bat and pad it's just where he's standing those balls aren't, just hit, aren't, aren't hitting the stumps anymore yeah, I mean, and he's so good off his legs that you know he's kind of like he's inviting the bowler to bowl to his legs, and and he, and he doesn't really mind that. Well, that's one of the theories about the off stump guard is that it works really well for the very very best in the world because the key thing is is that you just can't miss those balls on your pads because if you mm. do, you're really in trouble. And best or at his best, he is as like as good a ball striker. He's got a brilliant eye, uh, so you can see how that makes sense but there is just so much that goes into it isn't it because I mean he was doing this last summer against India but it was clearly not quite in the same sort of mm. relentless form so it was kind of getting like dismissed between 28 and 30 like four or five times I think um, so and, and, and actually I think in terms of his peak in 2016 that, that for me was actually why it was frustrating that England kept sort of like stringing him along keeping him around rather than sort of properly saying to him go and properly sort yourself out and mm. then come back and be that force again because I think if you, if you like if you look at the trade-off they made before the 2019 World Cup with making be the you know one of the best ODI bats in the world if that came the expensive test game kind of fair enough you, they would probably have taken Cup. that exactly <laughs> uh, and he was brilliant in that campaign and then going into you know where test cricket maybe becomes more important after that again I think they should have said go and completely sort yourself out but he's managed to do that now like even mm. while he's been around the England setup could it happen quicker if they'd sort of properly said you need to just get better at this before we're going to recall you because it was such a weird thing wasn't it when they uh, they dropped him in 2019 for two tests against New Zealand and then kind of kept him around because there was a bit of an injury doubt but then he didn't play and then said yeah he's worked really hard at this game that's recalling for South Africa and he hadn't played a game of cricket in that mm. time it was a really really old situation but yeah, yeah. It's quite interesting. We'll get we'll get to Zach Crawley in just a second, but those are two guys who had a really difficult run in Test cricket, and I think 
I think England deserve quite a lot of credit for actually persisting them when others I, I definitely wouldn't at times and um, England have clearly identified that Best and Crawley are two of their best six batters and I guess it's it's quite difficult right now to really know where a player is at when they're not in the side. Bester plays a lot of IPL cricket. He's one of the most sought-after IPL players in the world. So he doesn't get to play a huge amount of county championship cricket. I mean, <laughs> Joe Root famously said uh, towards the end of the Ashes when he was asked, what would you change about county cricket? And he said, how long have you got? You know, county cricket is not potentially the best place in the world for someone like Zach Crawley to become a test batter. And Zach Crawley has had to do that in the test environment. And it's just... You know, if you don't, if that doesn't work, that that's so brutal, and it had, and it was brutal for Crawley in 2021. But England, I know this is only one Test match, but I think they deserve credit for sticking with these two guys for identifying that these are two of their best six batters. They could easily have gone gone elsewhere in the last 12 months, but they didn't, and I think they deserve credit for that. Yeah, you're right, and it, it's tempting to say, well, you know, they had to stick with them because they don't have any other options, but they do have other options still. Like for that Ashes tour. They did not have to pick Crawley, who was in the midst of what still ended up as a, a record bad year for a top six batter. Uh, like they could have just gone back to Sibley, which is something that I felt would have been the right thing at the time, uh, and had sort of a, a block out top three of Sibley, Burns, and, and, and Hamid or something, or two, two, of, those, two of those opening. Uh, and again with Bairstow, like they, they could easily have said, look, okay, we've, we've tried it. It's been a long time since you've scored more than 60. Like, let's put you aside that. Like, they, they, they actually could have done that. It's, it'd be easy to say that, that you know, like I guess it's made easier to go back to them because no one else has come in and properly nailed it. But like, it, you can, they deserve faith. They deserve credit for it being those guys they've gone back to rather than perhaps some other guys. Yeah, on, on Crawley, by the way, I was so impressed by his hundred. I know that the pitch was pretty flat. I know that West Indies didn't bowl as well as we perhaps expected them to. Mm-hmm. But early on in the innings, he was a little bit indecisive outside off stump. And, and, and that's always been his, that's been his weakness really as a test cricketer. Uh, he's, he's got, he times the ball as well as anyone. He always looks amazing. However short his stay at the crease is, but he's not been that decisive outside off stump. And when he got to about 15, you, you could sense like a clarity of thought was there. You, you could sense that he was batting within himself. He kind of parked the drive a little bit. Uh, West Indies tried to bowl to his pads and he was, brutal anything directed his pads he was brilliant um and i guess showing that judgment that's the question with Crawley. there's never been there's never been a question about can he face high quality fast bowling is, is it going to be too good for him there's never really been a doubt for that like that south africa series in early 2020 he just came in the team averaging 30 in first class cricket not much of a record behind him and he looked all right against Rabada and orkia that's not re- really been a doubt the, the questions have been outside off stump in the summer of 2021 when he was really really struggling it was kind of indecision outside off stump that was really his downfall and I mean that, that first innings was a, was a horror shot really wasn't but that it? was exactly the kind of shot that he got out to in the middle of 2021 yeah. it, it reminded me of uh, one of the one of the he made a very a very similar shot last summer and I, I think it might have been the test match that he got dropped after and yeah he batted with real patience and it, it, it actually kind of like Bairstow in that his, his eye is so good he times the ball so well when the bowling is bad he will punish it and he will always score at a reasonable rate even when he's being more cautious yeah I kind of wonder with Crawley that he's, he's clearly such a good um, striker of a cricket ball I kind of wonder if like opening is actually his best position like I wonder if he never if he never played for England in that first winter where he was a reserve and there were injuries that meant that he debuted at Hamilton and then Burns got injured in Safka then he had to open the batting in that series I kind of wonder because he made his debut as a six I wonder if he 
uh, if he doesn't play that winter and he scores runs for Kent the following summer, if he ends up getting in the England setup as a middle order batter, I don't know. I suppose what we're not really sure about yet with him, well, I mean, there are still a few things we're not sure about, I think. I mean, we're still not sure about how he deals with like sideways movements, like C movement from fast bowling. We know, we know he can play the real quick stuff and we know he can make big hundreds. Now we know he can make other test hundreds as well. So, so, so there's, there, there are some boxes ticked, uh, but we also know how good he's against spin really at this point. Uh, like it took him quite a long time after so struggling that tour of India took him quite a long time after that to face a ball of spin even in that summer just because of how early he was getting out and so I think that's why I, I, I think three might end up being his best position but it will just depend on which other players England have available in form whether he actually gets to settle in there at any point in the future if he does stay opening or pop up and down a bit as the situations require I suppose Nice to see Ben folks back in the England team Yes, yeah, and that was a that 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 was a, an important innings in that in that first innings uh, because England was still not in a, a dominant position when Stokes got out. I mean, they they'd recovered a bit, but uh, that was a that that was the yeah that 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 took them up to sort of a parity on that opening day uh, that innings. And and he, I mean, again on that last and it's probably been overplayed his struggles against short pitch bowling or whatever when it was what two tests that he got in that West Indies series last time out. Uh, but this wasn't the quickest pitch. So I suppose some people might still think that is a bit unanswered. But this was a very, very measured, composed, sort of wicketkeeper-ish test knock, I suppose. Uh, and he, he, I mean, there was, he wasn't exactly completely flawless with the gloves, but you also saw the fact that he was able to stand up to Chris Wokes and take one mile down the leg side, which I suppose we'll get to Wokes' radar in a bit. But that is also just something that he adds, which is, uh, which is very nice. Um, yeah, and because and I, I, we, we were discussing sort of before the test, like how long it would be until sort of a Bearstow and the gloves debate uh, comes back up again. And that, I mean, I mean that, that'll settle it for this series, at least, I think, folks, in that first test. Uh, and then I guess when a new coach comes in, sort of all bets are off mm. for what they for think. For a lot of things. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, I was working on the third day when England only took five wickets and West Indies scored at less than two and over <laughs> over the entire day. That's uh, one of one of the least exciting days of cricket that I've watched in a long time. Um, not that it wasn't interesting, uh, Bonner scored 100 that day, but I thought that day kind of exemplified what I thought was a trend over the whole five days from an English point of view, that it was a pretty good test without being spectacular for fringe players in earning Root's trust. So I thought with Wood down, Overton bowled pretty well. You know, he wasn't great with the new ball at the start of the West Indies first innings, but I thought he stuck to the plans that Root had clearly devised for him. Uh, when Wood was was off injured, Stokes was tired, uh, Overton ended up bowling like the, the bumper barrage at 78 miles per hour, which, you know, not the most thrilling sight in the world. It's not quite what people imagine Test cricket to be, but he did a job. Uh, and then Leach as well, kind of going at less than two and over, I thought was quietly important after the winter he had. And then obviously on day five, he, t- he took a few wickets and kind of gave England a sniff, but not a huge amount more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a good test for, for Leach, for sure. Uh, but I think if we're talking about the bowling, the, that opening spell on day two was pretty pretty poor, I think. Like, uh, and, and But what, what was interesting as well is that obviously without Broad and Anderson, there's obviously going to be so much focus on uh, that passage of play 
and it couldn't have gone much worse for England, really. I mean, West Indies, uh, their, their opening shows have been worse than England's over the last few years. And this was, a, what, how long had it been since they'd made as many in an opening stand? And it was coming at a decent rate. And this is Craig Brathwaite was, you know, smashing them around since, the since they last played England in the West Indies. Right. And okay. it's also the longest they've batted in a home test since England last toured as well. Okay, so we bring the best out in them. <laughs> uh, but, but it was also interesting because the issue was really that they were bowling too... F- I mean, the, 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 the lines were off as well, but they were just bowling quite full, which is obviously what Root wanted in the Ashes and was quite critical of his bowls of doing. And now in the first test without Broadlands and after it, that's what's happened and it's yeah. not really worked. And then they bowled dry the next day and sort of got wickets through the day. And in the end, Westerny's lead, which, you know, if they'd kept going at that rate, you know, it would have been massive. Uh, but even if they'd gone at three and over, they would have been up by, what, like 450 yeah. at the end of that day or, or at the end of their innings. And as it was, there was enough time for England to build a lead and have a bit of a victory push, so... Wokes' radar was just off, though. Like yes, he would bowl yeah. some really good balls, but they weren't consistent in where, where those good balls were pitched, if that makes sense. I mean, we've got an interesting question from Tim. If England had all their options available, who would your ideal first-choice pick be at number eight in away conditions? Our options, from an English point of view, seem less than ideal. Wokes now has the highest bowling average for an England receiver away from home who's bowled more than 300 overs. That's a pretty big sample size, and this, this is not my original point, but someone I play cricket with um, made the point on a WhatsApp group that, first of all, the, the age gap between Wokes and Broad isn't that big. And when Broad was Wokes' age, rightly or wrongly, England were then talking about future planning then when Broad was a great with 400 test wickets behind him. Yeah. Wokes is, is, some, is somebody who's played a lot of cricket overseas, not done that well, recently hasn't done that well overseas, and 33. And I also thought it, it was a little bit down on pace as well. Like, actually, you're, you, you could arguably say that his pace drop-off compared to where he was a couple of years ago, is, is more stark than drop and pace in Anderson and Ball, which is arguably not noticeable at all. Yeah, I think one of the issues England have had, almost in general, in Test cricket, is the gap between things that should make sense in theory and things that don't actually work in practice. Like with our discussion with Bairstow, right, all the stuff we said, uh, his defence looks solid, uh, he can play spin and he can play pace. He um, uh, can construct and he's really well. All that stuff is arguments for Bairstow moving up the order. But we've seen when Bairstow bats in the top five in Test cricket, he has the third worst record of any England batter thing behind Rambrakash and Brearley for 50 innings, I think, is the cutoff. Uh, so he shouldn't do that, but <laughs> there is an argument that he should do that. Same with Root at three. You know, most technically secure batter, he's coming in early anyway when he's at number four. Uh, and yet we, and, but he's, and he's doing it now and, and maybe it will go fine because there is always the theory there, but there's also that quite big sample size of evidence that he is quite a bit worse at three than at four. Uh, and then there's, uh, and then and you get someone like Wokes who, you know, um, he's got that lovely repeatable action, uh, can get up to reasonably high pace. He's got a brilliant white ball record. So you think he can be pretty accurate and we know what he can do with the Duke's ball. Here he had a Duke's ball, he had the new ball, uh, and he, that should, should just be like bread and butter to Wokes. He should like he should be really like dominating the game from that point onwards. And uh, and 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 he was really really quite poor. And I guess how much longer do England think like well we think there is an all conditions test bowler in here when there is so much evidence that points against it. Why why does he struggle overseas? As you, as you say, he has a Duke's ball here. You, you sometimes get slow wickets in England. His record in England is, is so good. What, what, what is it? So, Crickviz's Ben Jones pointed out something, that he's actually, he's, probably, he's not as accurate as you, you might sometimes think he is. Like, I think, firstly, I think in England, because of sometimes how 
sizable the movement can be. You probably have a bigger area that you can actually pitch the ball in and bring a defensive striker relief because there is that much more uncertainty going on. And and he and he does bowl some absolute beauties in England. So that so that that can that can kind of explain his good England record, I think. And then like because Anderson has become brilliant away from home by just um, impeccable control exactly being completely ungettable like like in the ashes his strike rate was not good but his uh, was not wasn't wasn't brilliant but his his average was because he was just so so hard to get away and 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 Wokes just doesn't have that in him yet and at this point you wonder because because overall his coming rate in test cricket is like above three and over whereas that's quite a lot higher than both broads and andersons Mm. and that like you you have an economy of above three and over because sometimes you go at three and a half four and I don't think, unless you're a proper strike bowler, you want your, your one of your quicks to be doing that regularly in away conditions, basically. So mm. It's quite interesting. I, I can see him actually doing quite well in this series. Like, that is not how Wokes normally bowls. There are periods in the Ashes where I thought were, were more clear reasons and examples of Wokes struggling overseas, where he was actually bowling okay, but for whatever reason wasn't really... On, on those wickets wasn't really testing bats. He just, just wasn't quite enough of anything to really challenge batters. Whereas this was, he actually just bowled badly. And I think with a Duke's ball against a West Indies side that isn't great, you know, they're, what, they're ranked eighth or ninth in the world, you know, they're re- and in quite a long way in terms of ranking points behind where even England are at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see him doing quite well. If conditions are slightly better, if you have a slightly quicker pitch, I can see him doing well. But I do think at 33, him having a test that bad what are England learning from Chris Wokes playing in overseas test matches aren't you better off when we'll get to the makeup of the attack for the next test match but if Robinson's fit aren't you better off giving another test to Crave Overton to really see if he could be a viable option overseas in the years to come well I guess there's two things one thing we should say with Wokes is that he has had a very long winter uh, as long as any of them have had really in terms of having played T20 World Cup and then Ashes and then coming out here, that 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 is that is a lot of cricket to be playing, and, and he, he plays all formats all the time. Like, and because he's such like a sort of a because often he's in squads and not playing, and because he's um uh, such a nice amenable bloke, you can forget that he is like working as hard as as any of the others in terms of his just his pure workload. The other thing as well, I guess, in terms of what the upside is, if England do think that this is a guy who is kind of close to cracking it, and the ingredients are there, you can see that. If it does click, he is a more attractive proposition for lots of reasons than 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 say a Craig. He, I mean, he's batting quite well at the moment it, for start. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I guess that that that's that's there that there is an upside there, but it's just been a long time since England have kind of seen that. I suppose, especially mm. away from home. Uh, the injury to Mark Wood was 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 quite big. I think it had quite a big impact on the Test match as well. He is almost certainly out of the second Test match. Injured out for the third Test match. As a result, Ben Stokes who himself was an injury doubt with the ball, ended up bowling the most overs he'd bowled in an innings uh, in something like six years in the, in the first innings. Uh, I, I, so I thought Stokes bowled brilliantly, by the way. I think it was really good to see him bowl like that off the ashes. So if Robertson is fit for the next Test match, how, how would you go about balancing that England attack? Well, just on Stokes, just quickly, I think, I think it, it, obviously he is going to bowl more when a bowler goes out injured and when a couple of your guys are or well when Wokes having an off day that kind of makes sense bowl Dan Lawrence more yeah yeah and and, 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 and and in that last innings I mean he was really being bowled into the ground there I mean his pace was way down 
England were like so far from really being able to win the game. I mean, fair enough to keep bowling just in case something weird happens. I mean, that can always happen. We saw some of the shots that West Indies played in that final day. But just just have your spinners do it. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Uh, I guess are we going to come more to, to the England's approach in the final day a bit later. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so, so for that attack, I think it is interesting because it just depends... For, I mean, it depends a lot on the pitch, which we haven't seen much of so far so, and don't have much heard much of what it's going to be. It can, it can be quite a quick one. Um, but England need to think about what they want, what roles they want all the bowlers in their attack to fill, which actually sometimes you've seen work, especially away from home. If he plays in a three with Broad and Anderson, it's, it's not like, that clear what his role it, in that team is. Exactly. Not and and new ball. I can see that being the case if England go in with Wokes, Overton, Robinson, which I still think is probably the most likely thing they will do. But I think that then you do have, you, you don't have a point of difference bowler there and you don't have a guy who is going to come on and sort of really cause some trouble when there's a partnership building sort of thing. So that's an argument for playing, possibly to keep a mood or possibly even Matt Parkinson. I mean, it really will depend on what the pitch is like. But, but in, t- in terms of a guy... Parkinson, Claxton. Yeah, well, yeah. But I mean, it's We've actually the, it's flown out just... For the off chance we might see Matt Barnes as <laughs> Davy in the flesh. Yeah. Uh, but but in terms of a guy to break a partnership, and also, I, d- I mean, I don't know. I mean, presumably if Stokes wasn't that fit to bowl before the last test and has now bowled lows in this game, he's not going to be that fit to bowl with this game. I mean, you never know. But it, 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 that might make sense then to have two spinners possibly rather than three seamers and a spinner because that gives you that bit more flexibility in terms of guys who can bowl really long spells and Parkinson can do that he can bowl really long spells as well it's not as if I think people kind of assume that leg spinners go for lows and, and uh, Parkinson doesn't actually it's a bit better than first class cricket yeah yeah and 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 the thing on the pitches like that I think England just do need a point of difference bowler like actually in a, in a strange way Parkinson might be the, the closest like for like replacement in terms to, to Mark Wood in terms of what he actually does and what difference he can bring on a pitch like that the slowest um, bowler in international cricket yeah, but maybe yeah. the fastest yeah <laughs> yeah I think, I think that could be quite interesting I, I do I, I, an attack of Wokes Overton and Robinson if the pitch is anything like it was in Antigua I think that's that, that, that is not giving yourself a best chance of taking 20 wickets there. You, it's not challenging batters in, 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 in more interesting ways. No, but, but, I guess, but I guess also, I mean, but we, we should mention Bonner a bit more because he'd be batted really, really well. But there is more, more than with Australia and Australia, you do get the sense that maybe you can bore this West Indies side out. I mean, we saw that in the final day when they were playing for a draw and yet still lost two wickets to pretty bad strokes with... Uh, uh, Campbell hitting Leach to mid on and Blackwood aiming a pretty wild wild slog. Uh, so actually, if England do have and and that is, I mean, if Wokes can sort of sort his radar out, that is an attack that can really bowl dry. And Robinson is very skillful as well. Like I, I, like, I think he would have been interesting to see bowl on that anti pitch. And actually. he's got he's got he had a reputation that was being built even before a Test debut as a bowler who can get good batters out on flat decks. And you know he actually fitness issues aside bowled well in Australia like he held his own in pretty difficult circumstances and was really good in England last summer uh, and sometimes the pitches in England last summer were, were pretty good for batting actually um, you, good good of you to mention Bonner um, I just want to run through his story quickly just in case people don't know it so he made his T20i debut against England a decade ago played one game then played another game the year after that against Australia then not seen in international cricket at all for, for nine years into his test debut in 2021 he averaged something like 24 in first-class cricket until about 2018, 2019. Uh, he then averages 58 
in first class, first class cricket over one season. He's the fourth highest run scorer the the season before COVID. Goes to England as a reserve batter, then gets his first opportunity on the Bangladesh tour last year, where lots of first team players pulled out of the tour, uh, and has done pretty well since. He scored a hundred against Sri Lanka, also and at Antigua last year, and he's got a few good scores against Bangladesh um, as well. Yeah, well, that that Bangladesh series because that was a kind of a, an amazing win yeah. for Westings actually with the, with all his players out and uh, and Bangladesh. Are- are strong at home and obviously Kyle Mayers was the debut that caught the eye with a double yeah. hundred in the fourth innings it's going to do that uh, but Bonner played a really but, important knock in that game yeah and, and I think the guys in the Caribbean cricket podcast who obviously know their stuff uh, they were kind of saying after that that they actually expected Bonner like could to have the longer and then like more successful test career at that point which um, yeah. I think you can see I'll so. be interested to see how it goes in quicker pitches because like what, what really stood out on that third day was just how much patience he had mm. England were bowling pretty well. They started their plans. Paul Collingwood came out after the game and was very pleased with how England bowled that day. Butch on BT Sport, again, was very positive about how England bowled on that day. England bowled well. They didn't give West Indies many opportunities scoring runs. And Bonner was like, I'm fine not taking risks. I'm fine going at less than two and over, which is quite interesting. I want to ask you what you made of Carlos Brathwaite's comments uh, on BT Sport. Friend of the show, Carlos Brathwaite, of course. He said... If I were Craig Brathwaite or any of the senior players in the West Indies dressing room, I would have found it a bit disrespectful that in the last hour of the test, with two set batters playing as they were and the pitch offering nothing, England still felt they could get six wickets going all the way down to five balls left. Would England have done this if this was an Ashes test match? Would they have done it against India? Would they have done it against New Zealand or Pakistan? It's basically saying, why didn't England shake hands with half an hour to go, an hour to go? I think it's interesting that he says that. I'd, I'd, I'd say flip side, I wonder if England are influenced. I mean, personally, I think if you can win a game, you should play. I don't understand why, why you'd shake hands, uh, bowl the spinners. You don't need to risk Stokes. But if, if there's a chance to win a test match, play on. Um, England in 2020 shook hands with an hour to go against Pakistan when they needed six wickets from the final hour. And that was when they could have qualified for the World Test Championship. They can't do that now. But still, I, I want teams to play until they can't win anymore. Isn't that isn't that what people want to see? Yeah, that, and it, it was. I guess that Pakistan test is, is much more looking back because in 2019, I think in the Lords Test, so before the Headingley game, uh, England they need four Australia wickets by the end of that game, and they kept bowling until there were three balls left in that final over again. I mean, it's in, in some ways, you can ask why are they stopping when there are only five balls left because you know you can get stumpings off wides, you can get runouts off no balls. Like, like it's. I mean, it's, it's six wickets, six balls and six wickets, six, six, six wickets and six balls is already very unlikely uh so so i mean but i think the uh, i kind of think m- maybe where he's coming from and why uh, because it wasn't just that england kept going they, they 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 were kind of playing as if they really felt that they had a chance or that it felt really important that they get the win there and i think it, it more spoke to england's desperation for a win having won what only one in 15 now uh, and also, I think there are just quite a lot of people out there who are quite keen for some sort of statement result, basically. Like, because it, it wasn't just Joe Root or the guys in the field. Like, there was a moment, I think, when the ball went for four and Jeetan Patel was right there on the other side, picking it up, throwing it back in so they could sort of get the overs in in that last hour. Uh, and obviously, you know, Paul Collingwood has said he'd be interested in the England head coach job. There are other coaching roles that are going to be available. Um, but I guess, I mean, and, and yeah, you're, if they had just been bowling the spinners, I would have no issue with it whatsoever but the other thing that's different to the Pakistan test and which makes both of them odd I think is that there's not just a game to win here there's a series to win and it's you know there's only three days between each of the 
three test matches. So actually, like putting like putting that workload on your bowlers could really come back to hurt you. Know what I mean, you know, in which perspective you've already got one down in Markwood and you're already a bit of experience short. That was the thing that I thought was a bit odd, but no, I mean, fine with them trying to win a game of cricket. I mean, it's so rare that they get the chance to. Mm. So. Uh, next up, we'll hear from Taha, who was in Royal Pindley for Pakistan's first home test against Australia in 24 years. It was a bit of a run fest, but it was a great occasion worth celebrating nevertheless. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm talking to Wisdom Star Hashim, who's speaking to me from Royal Pindi, just minutes after the culmination of the first test between Pakistan and Australia. Um, Taha, before we get onto the pitch and the cricket, I want to get a sense of what the atmosphere has been like in Royal Pindi. Australia, just a fourth side to tour Pakistan for a test series since international cricket's return to the country. And it's the first time Australia have played a test there in 24 years. How, how have the Pakistani public received Australia? Yeah, you can't, you can't escape the occasion of it all. Uh, even after five days of watching that, and we'll get to that, um, it, took me, it took me till the end of the third day to realise that this was not a very good test match. And that was because the, third, the first three days, I was still kind of lost in, in what I've kind of taken in and what I've been taking in for the last few days, really. Um, the crowd here has been immense, really. Um, we're day five, it's a dead day. Um, you still got, you know, there's, there's still empty seats, but there's, there's few empty seats. I don't think we get this kind of sense of atmosphere, you know, in... You know, in, in, in other countries, it, it, was, it was peculiar kind of watching it today because the crowd was still filtering through. And obviously they recognised that they were going to see uh, Abdul Shafiq score 100. They recognised they were going to see Imam Al-Hub score 100. And that, and that means something. Just to give you an example, I, I went and sat in the crowd for a bit today uh, and I spoke to uh, a dad who brought his 16-year-old son along. His 16-year-old son was decked in a Pakistan shirt and sort of encyclopedic knowledge, loves Pat Cummins, wants to go play cricket one day. And so this day still meant a lot to him, still meant, this day meant a lot to his dad. So, you know, that's just one story, but I'm sure there are, there are stories like that across, um, across the ground today, because this is still a significant occasion. 24 years, it's a number that's been going around all week. Uh, you, you keep hearing it. There's a, there's, there's a lot of appreciation for Australia coming here. But not just them coming here, it's the full strength team coming here. Uh, and I think that means a lot because they're seeing the best players in the world. They're seeing Smith, they're seeing Hazelwood, they're seeing Cummins. Uh, and so it's still very hard to get out of that occasion. Um, I think now we will move away from that. We'll talk about <laughs> how terrible that pitch was. Uh, and hopefully we'll have more of a contest in the next two tests where we can actually talk about the cricket, which is, which is what everyone does want to get to eventually you want to see a good contest but yeah there's still been something celebratory uh, about what we've seen in the last few, five days that you can't escape yeah even just from the tv it was um noticeable how much the players from both sides really got into the atmosphere as well loads of videos of david warner having fun with it having fun with the fans etc um i'm gonna have to ask you about the pitch i'm afraid as much as we'd like to think otherwise that was a horribly dead pitch there were few if any really entertaining 
passive play, a, a stat that Andy Zaltzman tweeted at the end of the game. In the context of the dullest tests ever played, the overall match strike rate for the bowlers for both teams was 175, which is the 11th highest of 1,727 tests in which at least 300 bowl overs have been bowled. Um, I'm going to read out the criteria for what the ICC deem a poor wicket. Uh, a poor pitch is one that does not allow an even contest between bat and ball, either by favouring the batters too much and not giving the bowlers from either team sufficient opportunity to take wickets. Um, they give the example of, a, of this being a pitch that displays little or no seam movement uh, or turn at any stage in the match with no significant bounce or carry, thereby depriving the bowlers of a fair test between contest between bat and ball. Um, they very rarely give out poor ratings, but it wouldn't be unfair if this pitch was given it 14 wickets over five days. I know there's a little bit of rain. A couple of times went off of bad light, but there was very few times where the bowlers looked like they were in the contest at all. Yeah, it just kind of, it just refused to break up. There was a point the first day where the footmarks were appearing, uh, quickly recognised that the spin was the way to go over pace. Australia just picked one spinner. And you thought, oh, Pakistan have called it right here by picking uh, two spinners. Uh, no, sorry, two spinners and, and if the guy's at number seven to bowl a bit of Mosfin. But the more you thought about it, the more, yes, Australia probably should have picked on but, but it wouldn't have made a difference. Uh, Mitchell Swetson, a uh, young talented bowler, he, he, he wouldn't have somehow dramatically uh, ripped through that Pakistan lineup because whoever you picked, um, you, you would have a tough time on that pitch. It just, it just, it just it didn't offer anything. It didn't offer any jeopardy. It, it's weird how we talk about bad pitches. Let's go back to a year ago when we were talking about the India England series, uh, and there was all that chat about, um, you know, um, you know, the excessive turn. That, that still causes. That still offers a bit of excitement. Um, it still offers a sense of jeopardy. As um, <laughs> this, this was this was obviously the complete opposite. And you know, this is this for me was the kind of the worst type of a bad pitch really isn't it do you think the australia bowlers are escaping a little bit of criticism because they only took three wickets i mean the fourth wicket was a run out across 239 overs pakistan did at least bowl australia out uh, and in the second innings i know they they turned away from their seamers completely fairly early on in the contest but that, that's a long time to only get four wickets look look it's very obvious that pakistan aren't bowled australia um but then again also take into account Australia haven't really warmed up. So this test basically turned into a warm-up match for them. They don't know these conditions like the, the Pakistanis do, obviously. Uh, so you kind of have to almost give them this test match off. I don't like doing that. I feel like a test match should be given more importance. But the matter of fact is they, they haven't done a warm-up game. So this basically becomes their warm-up. Uh, and, you know, Pakistan, yeah, you're right. I mean, like, if you look at Noman Ali, he... he Realise the people are doing it to them. We found that those footmarks outside leg stump, and he attacked that, that through there and grabbed a couple of wickets. And that was a smart, smart piece of bowling, really. Um, but yeah, but you know, by the, <laughs> you know, that that fifth day where you know, I think Pat Cummins bowled four overs, something like that. Um, you know, just this, this immediate realization. Um, but you know, there's no point. You know, putting myself through this, no point putting our quicks through this when there's just three days between the first and second test matches. Yeah, weird, weird final day. Um, some people, not many, argue that Pakistan could have shown a little bit more intent with the bat in that first innings. If they did score 600 rather than 470, that is a different game. Uh, do, do, you, do you buy that at all? The thing is, it was such a slow pitch that, look, 
yes, it was kind of easy to bat on. I wouldn't say it was necessarily easy to score on. I thought the most enthralling passage of play was uh, the start, kind of the start of the uh, start of day three when Kawaja and Warner were batting, uh, and they went for their shots. But they also had the new ball, and they had the the pace of uh, Shaheen and Nassim, who were really going for it, and you know testing them with the short ball and stuff. And so that was that was when you could really score. Um, but it was you know look at someone like Steve Smith. It's all about you know, Smith may not be the level he was two years ago, um, but even he was, he was getting runs, but wasn't, you never, you know, you never really looked at any, you know, you never really looked at him as being free-flowing. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I, yeah, it was, it was tough to, tough to, that, that, that criticism of not showing enough intent, it's tough to really, I'm, I'm not totally convinced by it. Yeah, when there's so little pace in the pitch, like it's it, difficult. It looked, yeah, it would look like it was still hard to score quickly, basically. You could get your runs, but you still had to take your time and do it, yeah. Mm. I was saying to you earlier that um, I think me and you have been a bit spoiled in recent times um, by watching England. Uh, <laughs> England are entertaining for, 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 for predominantly wrong, for the wrong reasons, but the right ones as well. Um, and I, I also think it is actually worth saying that... Uh, the batsmanship to make it look that easy is something that we can take for granted a little bit. Um, I think both both teams obviously batted very well in the in those conditions. Um, one thing that's quite interesting about this series is that there are two teams that are quite hard to work out where they are at the minute. Australia are ranked number one in the world, but they haven't played in a way test in nearly three years. And this, this Pakistan side has actually changed a lot in recent times. I mean, we were talking the other day that really only Azhar Ali and this side you'd really associate with that UAE era of Pakistan cricket. The, the turnover has actually been pretty quick. Um, so which players from a Pakistan point of view stood out for you? <laughs> It'd be very hard for me not to say Imam Wahab's <laughs> two centuries. Um, look, the, 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 the second one, obviously, um, you know, a lot of part-time bowling, so you have to take that into consideration. But the first 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 day, it's hard not to be really impressed by that. Obviously, we didn't totally grasp just how much of a road it was on the first day. But um, look, he's making his first test appearance since 2019, um, and he's still up against Stark Cummins Hazelwood. Take into account, forget the conditions and focus on test cricket as a mental game. That's still a battle to overcome. You might still get one that you just you, you switch off from and you're out. Uh, you know, it's, it wasn't impossible to get out for a low score on the test. Like Travis said, got out for eight. Uh, my thoughts are with him. Um, you know, um, and you know, he, 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 you know, Imam Hook focused, he played really nicely. Uh, he kind of was patient to begin with against pace, recognized opportunities against spin when Travis Head come, came on, you know, moved, used his feet against line. It was still a very well constructed innings. Uh, so he really impressed me. I'm going to speak sixth first class game, third hundred, first test hundred. Uh, don't know much about him. But I think we'll be seeing a lot more of him. Granted, that first test entry has come against a lot of part-time spin bowling, but you still got to put the balls away, and he did that. Uh, and he's obviously got a record. He's probably got a stupid average right now. I haven't looked at it, uh, but he's obviously a pretty decent player. Uh, and so I think we're going to see see a lot more of him. He's quite sorry. Just just on him, just on him. He's quite an interesting story because. Is you're right in saying he's he's only played three first class games that were that are not test matches, 
Um, and his domestic side is the same one that Babrazan plays for. And in 2019-20, that their side had at least five players who played test cricket for Pakistan. So it's a hard side to get into. He gets in there, and I think he's was 100 on debut. And, you know, he's got a lot of teammates that are, are good people to impress. He gets um, parachuted straight into a Pakistan squad, but there's no first-class cricket in Pakistan for a year. So just as you'd expect him to take the next step in his development, uh, and hopefully score more runs in domestic cricket. He didn't actually get that opportunity, and Pakistan made the quite brave call to just take him on their tours. To I think he, I think he was reserved to England, and he was reserved in New Zealand. They gave him a few T20s, and then um, here he is now, three tests into his career, and he's I think he's I think he's passed fifty in five of his eight first class innings, and he's turned three of those into hundred. So, um, and yeah, I mean, even just aesthetically, I thought it was really impressive. Uh, very pleasing on the eye and he he looks very composed in defence. He's got a very Babar-esque kind of just nudge into the leg side that's very calm. Uh, seems to have a lot of time, but I guess everyone had a lot of time on that pitch. Um, and who do you think will be the, the happier side after this test match? Or do you just think that because of how far away it was to getting a result, it's actually hard to say? Uh, well, no, it's still, it's still Pakistan, surely, I think. Um, two openers who didn't come into this match with any centuries have left it with three between them. Um, ali has got runs. Um, Baba was looking good until he got run out. Um, you know, and, and their bowlers, like Shaheen bowled really well as well, I thought, for, for what he could do on that pitch. Uh, yeah, Pakistan will still be, I think they'll be, if we take this, they'll be, they'll be the happiest. Right? I mean, look, Australia took four wickets, of course. I know this is bad, but four wickets. So, yeah, and also, um, you know, I've got going for them that no one got a century on this pitch. Definitely, that like that would have been a huge confidence boost. You know, Kawhi three runs away. Uh, Lamashane, you know, still yet score a test century away from home. That would have been a you know just something to get off the back. You know? um, but uh, but it's still there. Uh, so Pakistan, yeah, definitely um, the happiest side. Nice one. Good to speak to you, Tar, and I'll speak to you again after the next test. See you then. Frogbox is the all-in-one streaming kit that makes broadcasting live cricket accessible for clubs, schools and associations in the UK. Designed for recreational cricket, the Frogbox solution is the innovative, lightweight and low-cost product designed for volunteer-operated clubs. Integrated with the Play Cricket Scorer app, all you need to do on match day is set up the portable video capture kit and live score the match on the app. Their automation technology will take care of the rest. Stream to YouTube with high-quality graphics, generate highlights of your greatest moments, and connect with your community like never before. Frogbox professionally showcases cricket at any level while offering new revenue opportunities for amateur cricket clubs. The automated graphic packages have multiple displays and advertising opportunities available, engaging the end user and delivering high-quality visibility for your corporate partners. Um, ben, the Women's World Cup has been brilliant so far. Um, at the time of recording, England are about to play their third game. They're in a bit of trouble. They've lost two out of two. Second one, a bit of a surprise defeat to West Indies. I mean, definitely a surprise defeat to West Indies. They were very sloppy in the field. Uh, sort of such a shame because Sophie Ecclestone bowled amazing. I was watching that live at the time. I think she, she bowled a, a, an overweight England took three wickets without conceding a run. She finished with, it was a three for 20 off 10. Um, but England weren't that ruthless 
in the field or with the ball, Eccleston apart. Shemaine Campbell, 66, helped West Indies put on a competitive score when they ended up defending. And, and to be honest, even though the, even though the England wobbled earlier in the run chase, it looked like Cross and Eccleston would take them home. But um, West Indies managed to cling on. And yeah, it's not, not looking very good for England at the moment. No, I guess... Maybe slight parallels to the 2017 World Cup when they obviously lost that opener to India and then won everything else from there on in. But I think the the other thing as well this time is that the schedule kind of works against them. I mean, we might might be proven very silly because they're about to play South Africa uh, right now. But their their last two games are against Pakistan and Bangladesh, and they could easily be out by then. Whereas last time I think they uh, after they lost the game to India, they then had Pakistan next and sort of got themselves back into form. I think Knight and Siv both scored hundreds in that game, and then from there on they were kind of into the tournament. Whereas they're going to have to like, but they kind of need to win this one really. I mean, they can, they might just be able, about be able to get away with losing one more possibly, uh, and if they win all the rest, they will definitely be in the semis. But uh, yeah, they've I've just seen they dropped Lauren Winfield yeah. Hill, Danny White's and open the batting, uh, which would be interesting. Charlie Dean coming to the side. That's quite interesting because before the tournament, I thought going batting heavy would suit England, but actually they were they were poor with the ball. Eccleston apart in that game they really did need other bowling options in that game so I, I guess that that makes sense and Winfield Hill as we talked about on the show before has just been out of runs for such a long time you're kind of like you're not you're not actually missing out on a huge amount of runs there if you leave her, leave her out and I think we have seen possibly in the past with England and, you, and you've talked about the fact that um they uh they, they actually haven't had apart from Bowman, a properly standout battery from these ones who we think of as being properly established players. And I do sometimes... Not in ODI cricket. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I, I do sometimes wonder if the depth of the batting lineup can sometimes play into that. Like um, if you kind of, if, if you know you bat down to, to, to eight or whatever, that you don't need to take responsibility in quite the same way, uh, which is, is possibly a factor, but I don't, I don't know. Uh, but, but overall, it's just been a brilliant tournament, hasn't it? I mean, West Indies... Uh, I did say uh, in the previous show that um, they would, I, don't, I, don't, I still don't think they'll make the semi-finals, but I did say that they would have a say and they have done that beating uh, New Zealand as well in their opening game. Uh, and there have been so many close games and, and even ones that you wouldn't have picked out as being like anywhere near close. I mean, South Africa being given a scare by Bangladesh uh, and Pakistan. by Pakistan. No, by both, both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they only beat Bangladesh by 32 runs. Um I mean, yeah, maybe not a scare because it, I guess they they were behind the right bit, but but still, it was it was a it was a decent game, uh, and and I guess you could you know say that they've looked slightly shaky with two two easy games to start and they've won them both, but they haven't looked hugely convincing. I mean, even the uh, the England Australia game was a really good game, even though England lost it, and, and in a way mm. they might have taken some confidence from mm, that after definitely. a pretty poor Ashes series. So the West Indies will have been a real. Uh, a real blow. And then even like w- one of the games that wasn't close at all actually has quite interesting ramifications for the rest of the tournament. India demolishing West Indies, hundreds for Mandana, Harman Preet. So not only are their gun batters finding form at the right time, but also West Indies who have those two big wins under their belt, their net run rate is really, really bad now. To the ex- I mean, they got two narrow wins and now one huge defeat. It's, it's, it's so bad at the moment in comparison to their opponents that, that they almost might need another win already over the the, the the teams vying for that fourth place. Yeah, and I think it's been interesting as well. I mean, England obviously haven't had a good start, but I mean, it has been kind of as many predicted that Australia have been pretty dominant, but the rest have been all been flawed. I mean, mm. South Africa, the only other team yet to lose a game, uh, but... They've only as you played, say, yeah. Yeah, they played the two-week teams. Everyone else has, has kind of lost one. It does kind of feel like, especially in that 
top uh, top six that anyone can kind of be anyone. Uh, although Australia kind of are streaking away. Yeah, I, I, I almost, I don't, I can't really confidently predict at all who's going to finish second, mm. third and fourth. I wouldn't be surprised by any of them finishing second, third or fourth, yeah, really. Yeah, I agree, yeah. Um, which obviously makes for a, a really, really good tournament. Um, elsewhere, India have been playing Sri Lanka in a test series that's about to end at the time of recording. India are almost certainly going to win that 2-0 tomorrow. Um, in the first test match, Pant scored an incredibly fun 96 where he went from 50 to 96 very, very quickly, just yes. murdering the spinners. Uh, Jadeja scored 175 not out, and he took loads of wickets as well. He's now the number one ranked test around in the world. Um, anything you want to add from that first test match? From the first test? I mean, Jadeja, I mean, it's just worth pointing out. I mean, we've said it before, but his, his all-round numbers are absolutely ridiculous. I think in that game, he was the first all-rounder to score 150 and then take nine wickets in a game, just missed mm. out on his 10-4. But that is a, a, an incredible feat. Uh, yeah, I mean, but not not much to add beyond that. I mean, Rohit hasn't got a, a score, which is interesting, and 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 Shreyas Iyer looks looks very good, although mm. that's especially so in this game. But um, yeah, and then just on, on that second game, um, actually, I'll go to, I'll go to a question from a listener. Uh, Stu asks, can you rate the the pitches that have been used in the last couple of weeks uh, in Test cricket? So Antigua, Rawalpindi, Bangalore. Uh, he gave Antigua a seven out of ten, and he gave the other two fours out of ten it's, it has been quite interesting because that Royal Pindy pitch was uh, it was eventually given a below average rating by the ICC uh, the Antigua pitch I actually think was slightly better than I thought at the time I just think you basically had the perfect ingredients for really boring cricket at some points in that Bonner was just fine going at two in the over England without Wood didn't really have a point of difference bowler in the middle of the test match when you expect the pitch to be at its flattest so I think seven is probably a little bit high for me it didn't break up as much as you want Five or six, I don't think it was bad. Royal Pindy, I don't, I think was probably slightly worse, but not a huge amount. But I thought the Bangalore pitch, uh, the one they're using for the second test match, the day-night test match between India and Sri Lanka, um, on day one, that was that was that was actively bad. I thought that that is not that is not good. Sometimes when we criticise pitches on this show, people think we're applying double standards by you know we like pitches that seem, but we don't ones that we don't like pitches that spin. But that's not what I'm saying at all. It's not nothing to do with the spin that I think is bad about the Bangalore pitch. It's that the bounce was so inconsistent on day one. I mean, Coley got done by one that shot couple of inches off the floor on day one there were a few balls off the spinners on day one that were coming up at almost shoulder height you don't want to see that on pitch on, on, on day one and, you, and that 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 test match has done well to go to a third day yeah I, 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 I do agree with you so I'm kind of just saying the counterpoint for the sake of it but it, it has encouraged some very very entertaining batting That's again true. Yeah. so Rishabh Pant today hit India's fastest ever test 50 uh, which is fun. Uh, Shreyas Iyer on that first day hit 92 off 98, which again is very good. And he looks an absolutely brilliant player of spin bowling. And even, I mean, I guess this this kind of goes in favour of your argument that Matthews made 43 and it was a brilliant innings, basically. Yeah. Uh, sort of 43, 85 was picking length absolutely brilliantly. Uh, so, yeah. And, and then also you look at it and, you know, uh, I mean, I guess this might feed into the low bouncing, but, you know, seven of India's wickets went to there quicks um if you saw the stat we put out on uh, on Mohammed Shami he has a uh, uh, the second best average uh in I think I think minimum 70 wickets the second best average in Asia of any bowler ever not pace or spin behind Imran Khan uh which is yeah and um Brimmer's first home five as well after many many yeah. overseas he's just not played many tests at home has yeah, he yeah. Ben we've had some law changes do you want to talk us through the headline 
Well, I mean, I suppose the headline and the one that people most picked out was the uh, the moving of the the mancad section, the run out on strikers end. Uh, Can you explain why this is why this is important? Well, yeah, and, and uh, there's one misconception I want to clear up as well because um, Stuart Broad actually uh, he said, "Oh, it's been moved from unfair play." I thought mancads were always in the rules, and they have always been in the rules. It was actually the, the unfair play bit was the non-striker leaving the ground before the mm. ball was bowled. I think this is this is this is an attempt to normalise it further, and in a way, it also normalises non-strikers leaving their ground before the ball is bowled because now you can just be run out in the run out section rather than run out in the unfair mm. play section so there's no there's no sort of moral judgment cast on the non-striker which is saying a risk that you have to take i mean pro tony's do the manca debate broad says <laughs> that it uh it takes zero skill which is is debatable and also raises I'd, the question of, of of what do you do about any wicket taken off a long hop or a leg side strangle i guess he would possibly argue that someone had to catch it or whatever but i gave the example of um the kate cross run out in the england west indies game where someone drills it down the ground uh the bowler dropped the ball onto the stumps having no idea where kate cross was no school involved there yeah but and, and i suppose if if you wanted to you could also legislate those dismissals out of the game you could say that yeah. a run out has to, has to come from like a some like you could you could throw the word deliberate in there to mm. like a, a attempt to get, get the ball onto the stumps yeah. or whatever and that would remove accidental drops and other sort of deflections which i, I know leave a sour taste in some people's mouths so i mean there is a consistent viewpoint mm-hmm. that to remove both uh mancads and uh run outs on the striker's end uh, in other ways uh, but I kind of think the situation is sort of fine as it is uh, other rule changes I mean another one that again is sort of headlinable uh, was the saliva it being banned permanently um, and only using sweat but I think a study by the MCC showed that actually wasn't making much of a difference at all to how much the ball was being again swim, another so. Ben Jones quick viz stat he said that uh, since sweat's been used uh, predominantly since the start of COVID, there's been no noticeable change in data of how much swing there has been. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really make a difference. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but Although I, I'd love to know if that what, if that breakdown applies country by country, mm. just because are people going to be sweating in, in early April as much as they might do here in Barbados? That's true. <laughs> m- m- maybe this is what will make uh, batting and cricket easy, finally. <laughs> uh, the fact that <laughs> knowing bowlers are able to sweat. Uh, yeah. And then w- one which I actually think, well, there's, there's two more actually. Well, one is just the thing that's coming from the hundred of the uh, a, a, when a batter is out caught, the new batter always takes guard at the end that they come in and uh, or that the batter on strike was at, which is such a common sense change that it's been fun seeing people who hate the hundred mm. uh, sort of say like, oh, this is ridiculous. No, this this wasn't the reason why cricket was bad sort of thing. Why are they changing this thing that doesn't need changing? And it's like, this is this is just a bit better, which what the MC do with their laws is try and make it a bit better. The one which I'm sort of maybe sceptical about if it will be a good thing or not, and I think could change uh, Limito's batting, like, I mean, not not, not hugely, but not, not considerably, is the, the change to the wide law. So uh, before you could almost have sort of like a cat and mouse game where a batter would say step outside leg stump and then step back in just as the ball is bowled. And if the bowler tries to bowl at where the batter was, they could sort of earn a wide that way. Whereas now, uh, if as long as the ball passes at kind of where the batter was at, at any point during the run up, uh, you can't, you, it won't be a leg side wide. So basically. if a batter backs away to leg and then moves back towards his stumps previously, if a ball was given, it was delivered 
you know, a foot or two outside leg stump, that would be given a wide. Whereas now, if the batter has gone that far to leg side, to the leg side, that would not be a wide. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and also similarly, if they move across the offside and then move back towards the leg side, you could probably, you, you should theoretically be able to get away with bowling one outside the tram lines. Uh, whether that actually comes into to play will remain to be seen. But that, 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 is a, that, that would be interesting to see if that has an impact, I suppose. Cool. Well, that is all we have time for on today's show. Um, cheers, Ben. We'll be back after the Barbados test where we'll be joined by Butch. Sports Social Podcast Network.